When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time to play with pain. Hosted by Emmy-winning comedian and writer Jeff Cesario. Interviewing guests from comedy, entertainment, and sports. Plus, legendary sportscaster Chet Waterhouse. Don't worry, this shouldn't take longer than your average trip to Costco. And now, here's your host... Jeff Cesario. I actually have to go to Costco today. I got to get, um, I got to get, uh, I got to get some kind of protein snack that doesn't make me fat. So I'm going to see if one of those has come in, <laughs> in a 55 gallon drum. Uh, welcome. Um, my bracket has been beaten like an exposed undercover cop in Narcos. I have nothing left. <laughs> We're going to talk. I have so much to say, but we're, we're going to save it because my guest today is a uh, uh, friend of the show, great drummer, first with the Black Crows, now a Trigger Hippie. Steve Gormany is going to be joining us uh, in just a second. We'll talk NCAA hoops, and we're going to talk some worst gigs. Uh, the one guy I know on the planet who has great worst gig stories is Steve Gorman. So fortunately, we have him on the show. Uh, but first, <laughs> Uh, Chet, I understand you may. Is there what's what's going on in the world of sports? Oh, there's a ridiculous amount of stuff going on. Time for the Waterhouse Update, sponsored by Par Mitzvah, the golf method that'll make a man out of you. March Madness, Sweet 16 sounds sexist. Let's go with Sweaty 16. Oh, no, that's not. That's not better. More high seeds up at smoke than at a Colorado weed bistro. Wisconsin unraveling like Aaron Rodgers' COVID rationale. Auburn shattered faster than the window of a Tesla pickup truck. Bruce Pearl so irritated, he only did a 10-minute set at the Milwaukee Improv. Michigan beats Tennessee. Jawan Howard consoles a vault player. Now that is a good five-week anger management course. That wrap-up sponsored by Cataraction, the dating app for people with blurry vision. NFL! Cleveland signs this Sean Watson. Now they're uh, trying to land a 300-pound Austrian masseuse named Gunter. Kind of clear that whole thing. Anyway, while texting his heartfelt goodbye to Cleveland, Baker Mayfield, Pulled a thumb muscle in his throwing hand. He's out seven weeks. That item sponsored by Can I Get a Fitness? Go to church and work out at the same time at Can I Get a Fitness? NBA! The Lakers are so old, Steve, they don't even want to bother with streaming services. And finally, this week in sports history, the year 1911. The place, New York, New York. The National Squash Tennis Association forms. The National Squash Growers Association immediately files a protest. This Waterhouse Update sponsored by Dick Tucker's. Women's clothes for men. And Curly Ringlets. Heavy metal singer for hire. That's Curly Ringlets. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Chet. I almost uh, coughed up a lung on that one. My guest today... Uh, voted one of the top Michigan fans by gloating and self-loathing magazine. Steve Gorman. Steve, how, how are you doing today? I'm guessing you're pretty good with your Wolverines in the Sweet 16. What a difference a sport makes, huh? I mean, <laughs> you spend 20 years in the desert of college football wandering aimlessly, but, that, but then they throw up a jump ball and suddenly we're back, baby. Yeah, and, and looking good. I am liking this time of year when the athleticism kind of takes over. That can happen in the tournament, I think. Teams that have it, no matter how they've struggled through the season, 
when, uh, you know, when it comes time to this, it's almost like, oh, it's a tournament. It's a ball. It's like some kind of we could win. Some. All right, let's hit the playground and do it. It feels like that to me. One of the only things I think that stays consistent year in and year out with college basketball is that the Big Ten is a grind. I mean, you get your ass yeah. kicked in that conference. Even even when you can say, like, well, we don't have any great teams, but they just beat the living snot out of each other. And then yeah. and then you see, I mean, yesterday, uh, Michigan, obviously, five straight two 16s, that, that says all you need to know about that their ability to flip that switch. But, like, Michigan State, for Sparty standards, a complete down year, they yeah. that was that was Ali Frazier yesterday with Duke for forty yeah. minutes. You know, there's just that thing of like you said, you put the pressure on, put it on national television, and and there is a a thing with those those programs that obviously the SEC is missing right now. Yeah. Um, that that just getting through that grind really does pay off, and those are well, obviously if, 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 yeah. If that was Ali Frazier, then uh, Iowa State, Wisconsin was. Wepner Stander, okay. <laughs> if you if you all recall, yeah. Ron Stander. The <laughs> vague it rings a very vague bell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're white, Steve, you should be able to shoot the ball a little bit. Well, now and Wisconsin that- has not been able to do that. I think they went south when Johnny Davis got uh, jackhammered in that Nebraska game and was out, essentially wiped him out of that Big Ten tournament. They have not been the same since. And I know teams can go through cycles. Auburn had a horrible shooting day as well, and they got clobbered. But, you know, Wisconsin's whole M.O. is, is like, you know, shoot the ball. Have a couple of guys who can hit trays. They're white. I can't make it any clearer. <laughs> Two of 23, Steve. They were two of 23 from the three-point line. And in in science, they would just toss the whole thing. That's not even a legitimate science experiment. They would go, oh, we, that's you know, start again. That yeah. didn't add up. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is a uh, – when, when you have students uh, – when you have student athletes who have attended things called shooting camps as opposed to basketball. <laughs> yeah, no. They got, good, they got a good shooting camp over in Eau Claire, and we're going to say, you do expect more when the pressure. Yeah, that's true. In the upper Midwest, they do split it by skills. There's a dribbling yeah. camp up in a White Bear Lake, Minnesota, and then there's a shooting yeah. camp in Eau Claire. Yeah. <laughs> there's a take a charge camp in, uh, oh, let's go, Oconomowoc. Uh, uh, Wisconsin. Well, it's it's that old school mentality of every piece has a function. Every function needs a piece. You put it together, boom, you've got an op- a fully functioning machine. But that's not the way a lot of the rest of the world looks at basketball anymore. And even Davis went south. 0 for 7 from three points. So they lose to a team, gutty team, well-coached team, on the rebound from a horrible year, Iowa State. But they were 7-11 and 11 in the Big 12. And I know the Big 12 is – a little resurgent, but it's still pretty much Kansas. And then what? Texas Tech's had a great year. Yeah. TCU, it, pretty solid. Well, but, but you, it's no big. T- I mean, you know, you're not bot. They just manhandled the Badgers, which is a rare thing to say. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, looking at like I'm in Nashville. So obviously, you know, Vol Nation is just beside itself. You know, this was Tennessee's year. Yeah. But- Exact same thing. When you're missing open threes in the tournament, you know we're at that. Obviously, one of the, and I think one of the one of the good parts of the evolution of college basketball the last thirty years is that if you're having an off day shooting, anybody can beat you. That wasn't the case in the eighties. No, you know you have a bad shooting night, but you had nothing but juniors and seniors, and they were going to figure it out. If yeah. you were if you were a, a top five seed and you're playing a lower. 11 to 16 seed, you know, again, back in the old days, the bracket was so much easier. It was just like, yeah, even, even on a bad night, you knew it was going to happen. But right now, like look at Tennessee, you know, they're playing again, it's Michigan. They're good in the tournament, but Michigan has no business beating this year's Tennessee volunteers, but, but they had a cold night and, and that's, that's all she wrote, you know? And it's, um, I, I, I think that the, I do like the parody. I love the fact that, you know, 
1989, I was I went 15 of 16 on day one, 28 of 32 for round one. That was my bracket. That's a nice first run. Yeah. Best ever. Those days are gone, baby. but there was a lot of, but in the old days, that wasn't that unusual. Forget it. I hope that. you took a, uh, t- take a picture of that one. Cause that's a non-fungible token. For uh, the future. I, a picture of a 28 and four bracket is yeah, not going to happen anytime it, soon. It never happen again. And I had yeah. all of $5 on the table for that back in the day. So uh, sadly. <laughs> hey guys, you know, while I was watching Steve, as uh, his chat, I noticed that it looked to me like Paul Christ might have been calling some of those Wisconsin offensive schemes. 49 points. It's a disgrace. Back to you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty tough. I mean, the tournament every year, you know, it gets farther and farther removed from uh, having any idea what's really happening in the first round. But And, and I, I will say I was watching the end of the Arizona TCU game, and, and, and I hate to just beat this dead horse. It's easier to just accept it. But you're going to see some refereeing in the NCAA tournament, especially if, like me, you're not watching that much regular season college basketball anymore. You're going to see some refereeing that is truly mind-boggling. Yeah. Yeah, there, uh, there was a moment in the Iowa State-Wisconsin game where uh, that Korchner guy or whatever his name was for Iowa State, he pulled out one of those uh, Jeff Galuli knee clubs and just whacked a guy and then tucked it yeah. back in his shorts. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad. It's it's really astounding. And I think it's because at the beginning of games, they're not quite sure how to call it. So they tend to kind of let it go. Yeah. And then it's like, it's like if you're on stage and you let a lot of talking in the crowd go uh, through your opening couple of numbers or bits – and then, and then you know, forty-five minutes later, it's chaos. It's governors on Long Island. People are just ordering drinks. Like, hey, I want a scotch, you know. And it's go- It's over because you didn't set the rules hard enough at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I was watching games all weekend with my son, who's twenty-one years old, and they're every time they go to a last minute, is the ball actually out on this team or that team? And they're doing the replay, and it takes four minutes to make a decision. And I was saying, as a get off my lawn old man, now I was like, man, let me tell you something. In the mid '80s, when you had some of the greatest college basketball teams of all time, the ref would go Doot, pop, and the ball was back in play. And if you yeah. argued, you got thrown out. It was just like, <laughs> <That's> right, <laughs> no. Talking about the refs five seconds after a game back in the day. I mean, it yeah. was just like whatever. They're in charge. That and, and I and I don't. I mean, I don't mean to kick. You know, who are who are these guys that referee college games? Bless them. Yeah. We need. But man, it, it's and I've said this every year, and I'll say it again. Whatever. If if you really want to have an appreciation for NBA officiating, watch some college basketball. Maybe it's the erosion of assuredness that the instant replay has brought to the process. I think so. I think, you know, these refs who are, you know, let's, let's be honest, insurance adjusters and, you know, uh, bank loan officers and things like that during the day, they are working their hardest. They're not getting paid a lot. They love the job. They like the action. Now they're out there, but now the beginning they're going, do I blow a hard whistle on this in the first two minutes or do we just go to replay you know and, and that has taken it down so you don't get those refs yeah. to go son pull up those shorts uh the game's going i don't care what you thought about my last call yeah i mean i mean it, it is funny like you know we for for every mistake a player makes which is there's a lot you know players screw up all the time we don't give the refs we don't cut them any slack but I will say the end of the uh, Arizona TCU game just the last like five seconds of regulation is a is a refereeing nightmare there was they I mean Arizona like tag team tackled a kid for TCU at midcourt took the ball from him um, it, it was one of those things you're just watching it going, man, these guys have gotten so in their own. They're way out over their skis with those whistles. Yeah, yeah Crazy. absolutely. Um, hey, guys, this portion of the broadcast, Steve, new sponsor, Eggclectic. A dozen eggs, a dozen different birds. Back to you guys. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, Phil Martelli, tip of the cap. 
what do they go when uh, when Howard's uh, serving his suspension? Which incidentally, Greg Gardner was ready. He had Emmanuel Stewart ready to come on his coaching staff. They just didn't get that far because they can't shoot the ball. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Martelli goes what three and two? I think during that stretch, enough to limp him into the Big Ten tournament, have him win win a game or two, whatever they did in the tourney. And that gave him enough juice to kind of limp into the NCAA tournament. And then, yeah. bam, now they're in the Sweet 16. And a team like that, I mean, the, grudge losses mean so much less to today's generation. It's- like you say, back in the 80s, the 70s, back when you, were, you and I were, were, were really, really into it, into these sports, watching it, you know, Pros, college, especially if you got a beat down, you were like next year on the court right after next year. You yeah. were into it. The I think it's video games. Something about I think kids today they're they're it's like a Pete Davidson. Yeah, whatever. Well, we'll see you, see you guys. You know, and then they just come back and and play again. They don't care. So it doesn't no. matter to them if there's a beatdown. So they get in and the tur- a team like Michigan goes. Who are we playing to? Yeah, all right, let's go. Yeah, it right. doesn't matter. Yeah, what was it night in 1990? I think UNLV beat uh, Duke by 506 points in the NCAA title, <laughs> and then the next year they met in the semis, and it was like you know you could tell like the guys from Duke hadn't slept in a year, <laughs> <laughs> and got the running rebs again, and it was just like oh my god. Yeah, no, it's it's. I I always said the one and done is going to kill the NBA, and I was completely had it backwards. It killed college because you know the best players they're not expecting to be there for very long. The the right. the absolute best aren't there. You know, half the kids that go one and done they they leave campus as soon as the tournament's over. They're not even there for a full school year. Right. And yeah, the the great Colin Coward has said, I don't trust a college team when they say a lot of experience senior laden that means these guys aren't good enough to go to the nba well it it means that that team's gonna win a game maybe two in the in the ncaa tournament right but then face a team who can just run faster and jump higher and shoot better you know then then the then the dominant you know uh the the talent does win out by the time you get down to the elite eight especially it's just you know you might get one super cinderella in that elite eight but you know, it ain't happening. There, there's not, there's not going to be a Cinderella in the final four anytime yeah, soon. No. And usually if you have a Cinderella, it's a, it's a Davidson with Steph Curry type yeah. Cinderella. Yeah. You still have- so they have one player yep. who is lights out no matter what. He's just not going to have an 0 for 7 night from three land. He's going to shoot his way through it inside the context of that game. Or, or, or in the case of this year, obviously St. Peter's, who has one of the jerky boys as a shooting guard. <laughs> uh, you know the the stash and the and the frothy hair that kid. yeah he does have a bit of an Artie Lang look to him. <laughs> <laughs> I would. Uh, they did a piece on CBS, like that kid's uncle is one of the d- producers for CBS Sports. And and they're showing the uncle's on hand, and he's like, "Oh, it's so exciting! I'm being blah, blah, I can't believe it." I said, "I got to be in Indy to see my nephew." And they cut to the kid on St. Peter's, and he goes, "Oh uh, yeah, Uncle Mike, he does like graphics or something." I think, <laughs> like, was, that's not a great Jersey accent, but it was it was fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah, he does the graphics. It was great. That's fantastic. Uh, hey guys, that one's sponsored by the Dollar Confederate Statue Store, and one of our old favorites. Gentlemen prefer gentlemen. The all gentlemen's gentlemen's club. All right. Uh, before we let go of a sports here, um, uh, well, let's go to the tournament. Let's, let's let's make some picks here. Let's put you on the spot because I have a hunch based on your tweets, you may have been gambling a little bit on the tournament. I I, I did get involved in a parlay here and there, and I would like. <laughs> well, wait a second. <laughs> That means like four parlays. <laughs> so I, I, I should take. This so month. is Connell going to grad school or not? How are these parlays coming out? <laughs> We've got two more weekends to, 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 to bring it back around. I, I, <laughs> listen, I, I had some great uh, picks, uh, uh, stuff I was really proud of. My, my individual game betting, I'm way ahead. But when I would go for the parlays, let's just say this, uh, the TCU, 
what are they called? The the horned bastards. The, the they, horned, yeah, horned horned frogs. The horned frogs. Uh, definitely, I, I did one of those. Oh, you know what? Screw it. I'm up. I'll do a crazy parlay where I'm going to pick eight games and I'm just going to like do like this. Uh, I, I went seven for eight, and TCU cost me. And and I and I'll come <sighs> with you. That was a multiples. That was that was that was a semester of college that I just saw disappear. Yeah, when, you're so pissed. You're literally pissed at Gary Patterson, the ex-football coach. That's how deep the hatred yeah. of TCU can run. And I have just noticed before I forget that on a timeline over the last 15 years, Steve, your hair and my hair have completely crossed. It's oh, yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's clearly a work not in progress. It's just. <laughs> It's there right now. Um, this would be something I, one day I might look back and say it was an, an in-between phase, or I might just <laughs> continue to not really care. We'll see. So can St. Peter's, are they going to squeak another win out here? I don't think so. Is it over? Yeah. Might be it's got to be. I, I didn't think they were going to be Murray State, to be honest. I yeah, was, yeah. They put that one together. I mean, I love when the coach says, it's just basketball. Like, you know, he's just like, Hey, we're from Jersey. We're from New York. We're not afraid of anything. And I get that, but it's easy to look back, especially at Kentucky and go, well, if this and that happens and Kentucky's vulnerable and, and I, and if any team walked into a game against St. Peter's, not thinking twice about it, it would have been Kentucky. Right. So, you know, you can, in hindsight, kind of see that one, the Murray state game credit to St. Peter's for getting up. But at the same time, Murray State, I, I, they were 30 and two this year. I think they overlooked St. Peter's too. At the end wow. of the day, yeah. the the, talking about teenagers, and they haven't lost a game since December. And they're, they're imagining wh- whether they know it or not. They're like, well, they got up and they beat Kentucky. They're going to be, they're just happy to be here. We'll go out and do our thing. Right. And right. Work again. But, but now, when you give every team right now five, six days to prepare, or, you know, a week, it's like, yeah, that's true. That, that could hurt him. I mean, you may, uh, that, that kid may look around and go, Holy crap. These guys are a lot bigger and faster than anybody we faced so far. Well, and, and, and the, who and I, I'm, I'm spacing right now on who St. Peter's is about to play, but whoever they're about to play has two games of tape right now to watch for the next few days. Right. right and, yeah. and a whole different, different ball of wax. Obviously well, who's coming out on this. Are we going chalk at this point? It's a, the safest bet. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, uh, you know, I, and I, I, I include, you know, Michigan in that and Michigan State. I mean, uh, Michigan in that, uh, you know, even though they look great against Tennessee, they're an 11 seed. And that was lucky. That was a gift, frankly, yeah. for the committee. So I, I don't I don't think they put it together. I think I think they had, that's great. Another great run uh, yeah. to the team. But they're, that's not going to maintain. I think they might. I, I honestly do. Um, uh, I, I think they have the athleticism and the sort of, uh, brain fog of your average 19 or 20 year old yeah. to not quite grasp the gravity yet. Of they do have, what they're in. They're a team that has shown they will have some incredible defensive lapses. I mean, th- there's guys <laughs> on that play man to man like me, which is to say this, <laughs> foot speed that's non-existent and they watch blow by them but then they're just running and it's like great got the ball back i mean they 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 seem to have a defensive mindset of a relief pitcher which is i forget everything that just happened and i just back on offense so uh it could be anybody uh i i i I like ucla a little bit to come squirreling if i'm looking for an underdog yeah no they're they're they surprised me um I haven't watched them all the, I mean, I see them, I see stories, but I hadn't really watched them, but uh, you know, that's that thing of you get, you get pretty close one year, bring most of the team back. They obviously, and that, that, I they just gave that coach a six year extension. Obviously right. that's a solid uh, place for him yeah, to be. Cronin. He's the, uh, he's the in shape Greg guard. I'm going to keep hammering Wisconsin yeah, because ahead. they deserve it. Two and 23. That's like, that's like, that's like, uh, celebrities who think they can play drums and then yeah. they play drums and you go, Oh, they're horrible. That's, yeah. that's what Wisconsin just did. They did well, an impersonation of a celebrity trying to do something. They're, they're, they're giving us the gift of not kidding ourselves when we say, hell, I could do that. 
Yeah, right. You do look down Wisconsin's bench and you go, I think I went to high school with their ninth player and their 11th and 12th player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kids work in the third shift at the truck stop in Clintonville. That's who's yeah. on the end of the Wisconsin bench. Yeah, there are there are times when you look at a game and, and all the cynicism melts away and you go, oh, they actually do have student athletes. Okay. <laughs> It can't be said any better than that. Sponsored, guys, by Rocket City, the jet blue of space travel, and, of course, Cole Slaughter. We murder cabbage for a killer side dish. And one of our favorites, Jehovah's Witness Protection. Disappear into the warm grip of the Lord at Jehovah's Witness Protection. Back to you guys. Thank you, Chet. Um, All right. Are you participating in any sports right now, before we dive into some worst gigs, are you doing, do you have a regimen? Is there anything close to something that could be referred to as a regimen in your, there, in your life? Physically? There's, a, there's a set of golf clubs that recently started to call my name again. Ah. They're just, they're yeah. just over there. Like the siren song, literally a film noir. I, and they're, I, they're the bad girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, uh, <laughs> I hit a point at some, there was a time when I, when I started hearing myself say things like, no, but I mean, if you walk 18, man, that's a workout, you know, <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure it is. right now. Um, I, uh, no, I, I haven't played, I haven't played any sport. I haven't played pickup basketball in almost 20 years. I used to play like, I played till I was 35, like, like an idiot. And then, and then tapped out feeling like, well, uh, you know, you hit that place where suddenly you're watching guys blow their knees out. There's no contact. They're just yeah. standing, dribbling and fall down. <laughs> they weren't, they weren't <laughs> even dribbling. Yeah. They actually went to a collapse on a bad knee uh, uh, camp. Camp uh, That's right. up in Peshtigo, Wisconsin. <laughs> that's where you go learn to do that. <laughs> I, I just started thinking, I, I, don't need, I don't need to reconstruct a knee at, at this stage of the game. It's going to yeah. take long. So, um, I mean, you know, in general, like workouts, uh, occasionally getting back into it now, actually, um, big fan of yoga, not afraid to admit that. Jeff. No, I like it too. It stretches you out. Uh, my, my flexibility is, 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 is fantastic for, for such a sludge otherwise, uh, right. never lost, but, um, no, I, I, I play golf. I shoot game. I'm still, I, I'll still take you out in a game of horse, but there's not going to be any run in the court. Well, especially if it's your home court, if you got that weird garage thing with the double yeah. and then off the attic window that nobody's used in 20 years oh, yeah. and nobody knows it. So everybody else is afraid to hit it because if you got those things, uh, yeah, you're skunking people. Uh, all right, let, let's move into, into this. This is an area of uh, life that fascinates me. Worst gigs, uh, just because, <laughs> Just because everybody has them, I don't care what job you have. Sure, uh, everybody has them. And you and I worked on a on a pilot uh, in which we explored what appeared to be an absolute bottomless pit of horrific rock and roll gigs. <laughs> yeah, we would pitch. I have to tell the listeners this. Um, we worked on it. It was called Way Down Inside. It was about a kid sit, looking at the music industry through the eyes of a gopher who just came to Los Angeles. It was essentially it. And and uh, Peter Angelis, who was the manager of the Black Crows and Van Halen and several other great groups. And you were the font of information for this. I was just the writer. And I spent probably 60 hours with you guys never hearing the same anecdote twice. We crafted it down into about a 12 minute pitch. Every pitch we went on two and a half hours because people couldn't get enough of these stories. And every time I said, I spent 60 hours with these guys, there were five new horrific gig stories in that pitch. It's it's like never ending. What are there any that stick out? Is it, do you have to divide them by dozens? How do you do it? It's, <laughs> Rock and it, roll. It's, it's, it's exactly the same as when someone says, what was the coolest thing that ever happened? And every day, every minute, depending on where you are, you have a different thing comes to mind. But worst, wow. worst gigs ever, I mean, there's, there's different categories. You know, there's just the worst gig as in the gig itself, the room, the venue. That was just like 
a true shithole and and something went wrong on top of that. Or there's also the worst gig ever because it was at a time and it's in a really good room and it's when everything should be going right. And the and, and something just in the interpersonal dynamic obliterates the show. I mean, there's a bunch of different things. I mean, I've had a few that, that uh, you say worst gigs. I mean, there was a show as a local unsigned band in Atlanta, Georgia called Mr. Crow's Garden. We took a gig in Chapel Hill uh, at, at a club called the Cat's Cradle, legendary club. And we drove to Chapel Hill. This is 1988. And we stayed with a good buddy up there. And we had a great time. And on the way home, and again, no idea who put this together. It was like, oh, you can stop in Greensboro, North Carolina and get a Sunday night gig. There's a cool venue. They'll at least help you with gas money. And it's one of those, yeah, let's do that on the way back. Well, it was in the basement. It was a tiny little room in the basement of a Chinese restaurant in Green in Greensboro, North Carolina. And we show up. And the, 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 we're going to make whatever comes in at the door and they're going to feed us. And so we're like, great. I mean, that's a, that's deal. a deal. Yeah. Um, we did eat. Everybody had a headache in less than an hour after eating this. <laughs> that's not a bad joke. It's just true. No. It was truly like, oh, my God. Oh, that's what an MSG headache is. And we're all feeling sick to our stomachs. Not one person shows up. Not one. Now. Why would they? We've never been to Greensboro. We didn't have anybody putting up flyers. <laughs> this is the uh, How would anyone know what that name Mr. Coach Garden is? We, we are sitting there in this tiny little cramped room that upstairs, there's a bunch of people having Chinese food. And the woman says, okay, so, you know, when are you going to start? And we said, well, there's no one here. Do we really need to play? And she was like, I fed you. You're going to play. <laughs> and so... <laughs> We set up and played a show for no one. And wow. the one person that did walk in, one guy poked his head in and he said, y'all know any melon camp? <laughs> oh, that had to hurt. And we, <laughs> no. And he turned around and walked. <laughs> and so we played a set with, with headaches and very upset stomachs to nobody. And we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And we had to play 60 minutes and then she let us leave. Wow. Yeah, nothing seems to go good. No performing art seems to match up with Chinese restaurants. It's notorious. Uh, there's, a, there's a gig in Boston, a comedy gig at a Chinese restaurant. And it's already come up probably five times in me asking this question. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, well, so it's clear that there is something about the, uh, you know, the food and the vibe that it's not going to lend itself. I, I I would I would argue that what's the Chinese dance troupe, Chen Yun or whatever it is. I don't even think they work at a place that serves Chinese food. I guarantee you, because it, it, it'll be a disaster. I I can tell you just generally speaking that performing for food almost always goes poorly. It doesn't matter. <laughs> general rule. You know, when, worst and, gig rule number four. <laughs> performing yeah, when, for food will result in a horrific experience. <laughs> hey, at least you're going to get fed. That's never, it's never, it's, it never adds up. Yeah. When you're leaning on that one as a justification, you're already in trouble. Now, I also happen to know uh, that, that you have, you have worked some of the odder odd jobs uh, coming up before you landed solidly in the music field, probably much to your surprise. I, as I recall, yeah. You, you've said openly on several occasions, you've, you've sort of woken up playing drums for the Black Crows in the middle of it going, the fuck did I get here? So uh, unbelievable player. But I mean, the, just, the, the, just the way things fell for you was amazing. Yeah. So prior to that, you had done a lot of sort of weird, unusual gigs. Anything stand out I there? Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, like, I mean, like anybody, you just take whatever job you can at a certain yeah. point in time. Um, I spent the, the, the two months right before I moved to Atlanta to, to join a band, which became the Black Crows. So this is uh, December, January, February, 86, 87, just to give you just to go back to those years. I was in my hometown, Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and I got a job for two months at a blue jean distribution warehouse. <laughs> 
and 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 why they do they have, even need though i it's <laughs> go ahead I, look i did not ask questions i was not privy to the to the 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 ebb and flow of you know I, I didn't really i wasn't really in charge of making any decisions or worrying about the business plan the the all i knew is this i went to a warehouse every day five days a week and at 7 a.m on the dot a semi-trailer backed into a loading bay it was filled with blue jeans you know how many jeans you can put in the back of a semi-trailer that many um it's like and they're me, bringing them up from Columbia or somewhere, for God's it, sake. How did, it wasn't Levi's or Wrangler. It was like uh, brands like Chick, you know, Chic jeans. Sure. And, uh, sure. and a few of those uh, Jordache jeans, you know, like those brands. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we would unload a pallet after pallet of jeans. And they were, they. this was the job. The jeans came out of the truck and they were stacked. They were, they were bundled together by style not by size it was like this is jordash acid wash number four on in various sizes and so then we would then put them into bins based on their size wow you know 30 32 30 34 30 36 (laughs) and then and we would do that all morning and then we would have lunch and then we would go to those bins. And then now that they're stacked by size, now that they're assembled by size, pull them out, put them in stacks of 48, tie them off and put them all back onto the exact same trailer. <laughs> this is that's like, job. I think that's what, the, have you have you been watching severance? Uh, I, I think that's what they do in severance. I think that's what they're going to want. We're going to discover that's what they're doing. I, well, I remember there's a, there's a kids in the hall sketch where the guys all work at a place where they just put their hands in a tub of water filled with fish. That's the job. <laughs> they just stand. How's the fish? Fish are good today. Yeah, yeah, you know. And then they just dry their hands off and go home. And I remember watching that skit and I thought, yeah, I had that job, but it was blue jeans. It was just you know. But that that went on for a few months, and and it was it was. Let's see, 1987, I believe minimum wage was $3.25 an hour. And that's exactly what they paid me. I don't doubt that that semi-trailer immediately went back to an Italian neighborhood or wherever they originally sorted by by color. <laughs> and then they redid the whole thing. So there's <laughs> so, but a bunch of Italian kids going, it's all messed up now. They're by yeah. size. Cut the clips. We got to resort these. And then you get well, they, the same truck back the next day. Or, or they just took stacks of 48 and, and put them into smaller stacks, which they call chopping down in the industry. <laughs> so, so, so there is an industry, but we I, don't know I, what it was. <laughs> yeah, no, I really, like I said, I wasn't asking questions. I was just like, this is what you want me to do? Okay, oh, I can. What a, a damn it. A lot, of, a lot of pizza, you know, several different jobs making pizzas in various places. Um, the, the best was a Mr. Gaddy's pizza, and it was a conveyor belt oven situation. You know, sure. And Mr. Throw- Gaddy's not going to settle for anything less. You take out a frozen crust that's been made in a in Sheboygan, and, <laughs> and you, you put exactly one scoop of sauce and exactly one cup of cheese, you know, everything to the – this sure. is in the – imagine what it's like now. And then you just set it on a conveyor belt. And when it comes out the other side, it's ready. That's it. That's, you know, it's not exactly wow. make food. You're well, just look, pro- when, you, when you're laundering money for the mob, you don't dare put an, an extra half ladle. No. That's, that's 40 cents out of somebody else's pocket. And his name is Mr. Gaddy. That was probably him changing his name from Gaddy. That's exactly I'll right. I'll come up with something I'll never guess. I got fired from that job for whistling in the kitchen. It's not good. <laughs> the health. You know, you can't be whistling over food, apparently. And I just couldn't stop myself. <laughs> I, wow. Well, that, it proved you were destined for a career in music. That's uh, exactly. Sponsored, incidentally. Hey, look at this, Mr. Gaddy. Sponsored by Nanazon Prime. Now get that stale butterscotch candy from Grandma overnight. And, of course, River Glance, the Irish dance sensation where only their eyes move. And one of my favorite sponsors, 45-hour energy drink. Live big, crash hard. Back to you. All right. uh, My guest, the amazing uh, Steve Gorman. Steve, thank you uh, so much for coming on, sharing um, 
your uh, not only tournament insight, but a couple of great horrible gigs. And uh, folks, if you have, if you don't know, uh, Steve's written one of the better rock and roll books ever called hard to handle the life and death of the black crows. You got mother's day coming around the corner, father's day coming around the corner. Just get it, slap a bow on it. Nobody Mm -hmm. needs wrapping paper. Boom. It's there. It's called hard to handle. You can find it wherever you find uh, great books. Uh, and what else you got on your plate right now? Is Trigger Hippie gigging? Yeah, just starting back. Before though, I, I'm going to throw. I'm going to. I'm going to go. We're going to turn back around real quick because oh, go. Uh, that's what we call in fishing a back cast. You <laughs> you mentioned bad gigs in Boston uh, oh. and Mr. <laughs> Garden. That's what we were called in 1988. Ever went to Boston again? Uh, for a series of shows that I look back and I go, who booked this? Who the, how did we go to Boston for a show? We pulled into a club in Boston on a Saturday night. It was the Saturday after Mike Dukakis had been defeated soundly by George Bush. <laughs> and there was a pall over the whole – you could tell yeah. everybody in Boston was just like, oh, that was our guy. Um, we pulled into a club to play a show in Boston, and as we were unloading the van – the guy from the club is standing there and he goes, uh, is this it? And I'm like, yeah, what do you mean? He goes, well, where's the PA? Oh, I said, where's the PA? He goes, yeah. And I go, you're asking me? And he goes, yeah, you need to bring your own PA. And I was like, oh my God. And we had driven up for, we had played, we had played in New York. We actually played Maybe like a couple nights before. So we'd been in New York for a couple of days so and now we're been in a real club. Yeah. And my only thought was we just drove all the way to Boston, got lost twice to be told that they don't even have a PA. And the guy goes, well, you could just play instrumentals. You don't need your vocals. <laughs> we were like, oh. <laughs> oh, God. So, and we packed the van up immediately. And then we actually had a gig in Albany the next night. And so we got in the van and then that just left Boston. Like, we didn't have enough money to hang out in Boston for a night. We're like, well, the people are in Albany. We just drive to Albany. At no point did it occur to us, let's call the club in Albany ahead of time and make sure they have a PA. You know, because who knows? Maybe this is how it goes. Right. And, and then it dawned on us the next day when we were already there and had already st- spent the night in a hotel, we should have called ahead to confirm. It turned out okay. That gig went great. And they, and they fed us, which was crazy. That was actually wow. good. But yeah, walking into a club and being told we don't have anything to amplify your vocals, but you can play instrumentals. Well, that yeah, that was that was also a highlight for sure. Uh, folks, this is a real life version of what's known as an internet rabbit hole. Uh, I, I guarantee you, I will get halfway through uh, the plugs and goodbyes, and Steve will think of another one from sure. that trip. Just oh, that trip. I- I'll go right now. Go for it. It Go for it. It was a four gig trip, which for us in 1988 was like a tour. Yeah, it was was huge. And it was DC, New York, Boston, and Albany. Okay. So we leave Atlanta. We drive to DC. It's like a 10 hour drive. Long day. Leave in the morning. We get into the club. This is true. Pull the van up outside the venue. And I don't remember what it's called. It was actually across the river, like in Arlington. And, and me and, and Chris, our singer, we walk in to do the, hey, we're here. Where do we load in? What's going on? And a guy who we, we banging on the door of the club, guy comes unlocks it. He's like, what's up? We're like, hey, Mr. Crow's Garden, we're opening for whoever tonight. And the guy goes, who? He said, Mr. Crow's Garden. He goes, what are you talking about? I've never heard of you. <laughs> and, and that was it. We literally went, are, we're not playing here tonight. He goes, no, not that I know of. And we just turned around, got the band. <laughs> because we were like well hell we can get to new york in four hours that's great it's plenty of time <laughs> sure. anyway. at that age in a van there is always a silver lining to even the yeah. worst gigs so then we did cbgb that was we did that then we did boston then so cbgb and albany were both good nights dc and boston didn't even happen and so, you know, you come back home after a week on the road, big tour, and it's like, how were the gigs? And we're like, well, the half that happened were pretty fun. Um, <laughs> you know, when, when four shows is the biggest tour you've ever had and yeah. two of them happen, it's a little, it can be. Sure. A, it it's can still be a, a tour. 
could have yeah. been a little deflating, but hey, could have been bad weather. You don't know. Also, leaving the club in Albany, New York on the fourth night of this tour, a club called the QE2, which is one of the, it was actually one of the greatest nights we ever had uh, for a lot of reasons. But just to just as a kicker, loaded up the van, pulled away from the club to start the very long trek from Albany, New York, back to Atlanta, Georgia, drive that bad boy straight through and shifts people sleeping in the van, get back to our rehearsal space and we unload the van. And what's missing but a snare drum in a case left by my only, I had one snare drum and it was in Albany, New York. It was like, man, this touring thing kind of sucks. <laughs> oh man, that's brilliant. Sponsored incidentally by JC Penny dressing homicide detectives for over 60 years. Uh, so what do you got happening? What's going on? Uh, Hippie's got, we just played a show in Nashville. We're playing um, at the end of April. We got a gig about an hour south of here in Columbia, Tennessee. Then we're playing at the Beale Street, Memphis and May Beale Street Music Festival. That's May 1st. And then we've got, uh, there's a lot of uh, dates we're looking at for the summer and fall, but we've, we're just, you got a lot, it's a lot of logistics and a yeah, lot of pulling it uh, together. Where can we find uh, uh, you guys online? Triggerhippie.com. Hippie with a one. Uh, folks, uh, do yourself a favor. It's great music. Go, it, go go listen to it. That's all good. I'm still doing my, my Steve Gorman Rocks. I have a classic rock radio show. Westwood One Cumulus Network. That's five nights a week. And um, and then, uh, you know, various other projects. I've been I've, I've actually, oddly enough, been doing a bunch of sessions lately, just playing drums around town with people, which is always fun. Nice. And, and as you mentioned, uh, gambling my way through two college tuitions. So, yeah, sure. oh, yeah doing what hey, I can. Hey, look, you know something? They should learn from dad the hard way and, and get in a van themselves and go to Albany and lose half their kit <laughs> to a cook I, who's I, now playing in a blues band. <laughs> I say this all the time. I don't even know how we made it. Like, I look at a kid in <laughs> college. I go, look, I don't even know how we did it back then. But you get in a van without your cell phone. Without a credit card, good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's item number ten on the on the worst gigs list. Hey, the first time we ever played in Portland, Maine, we, we had a record in stores already. Like we were on our first tour, and we drove up from Boston to Portland. It's like a two hour drive, and we couldn't find the club. It was called T Birds. This was the night of the aforementioned UNLV destroying Duke in the national. If, if I may, how do you pull into a city as small as Portland, Maine? And you go, hey, where's T-Birds? And people go, uh, I don't know. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to one-up you. We, we, we couldn't find the club. And, you know, because it's literally on the back of an envelope in pencil are the directions someone wrote right. from phone call the day before. Sure. And I'm actually driving the van at that moment. And I see a kid walking down the street. And he's like, he's just right out of. Uh, dazed and confused. He's just a time capsule from 1976. <laughs> He's probably 15 years old, hair part in the middle, long, bell bottoms, the whole thing. He, you know, it's he's like the Terry Ramon, the littlest <laughs> Ramon. <laughs> and pulled up next to him, and uh, and uh, our Kenny, our tour manager, was sitting in the front seat. Rolls his window and he goes, "Hey, kid." He's like, "Yeah." He goes, "Hey, man, do you know where T Birds is?" And hand to my heart. Jeff, the guy, the kid goes, yeah, that's in Portland. <laughs> we were in the wrong town. <laughs> Man. Uh, I, you, and, and by the way, another, this is the greatest part of the story. We said, well, can you tell us how to get there? And he goes, oh, I got to go to Portland anyway. It'd be easier if I just show you. Can I have a ride? And we really <laughs> jumped in the van and he got right. Between me and the kid, you know, the, you know, the two sure. front seats, and he's right in between us. And he's just, no, take this right, get this left, go there, yeah, keep going, keep going. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I got to see where the next turn is. And he gave me the crate, but it was about, a, it was only 10 or 15 minutes away, but it was technically in a different town. And when we got there, we were like, hey, thanks. We pull into this little parking lot. And he's like, all right, cool. And he just walks away. Never saw him again. Like, wow. Didn't say one thing about, What's your band called? Where are you Nothing. from? Come and see you. Like, didn't I, no concern. 
whatsoever for the fact he's in a van with obviously a rock and roll band that's going to play a show that night. He was just like, cool, thanks. And he just went on his way. That kid today is the governor of Maine. No, I Are don't. You, that's- oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> what a payoff. It might just be. We don't know. But don't. I'll say this. I do occasionally pine for the days when uh, your map quest was a 15-year-old burnout high on <laughs> high on hash oil soaked oh yeah marijuana <laughs> just the, needed a ride the truth is he could have taken us literally anywhere and we wouldn't have known <laughs> you know? no. and knowing you guys you probably would have set up and played steve thank you so much uh uh for doing the podcast today what a blast it's always my pleasure brother uh we'll do more of this and seriously folks this is the top of the tip of the iceberg of rock and roll hell stories. I'm telling you, uh, Steve Gorman, uh, go to triggerhippy.com. Uh, listen to his, uh, uh, radio show on Westwood one and, uh, and, uh, buy his book hard to handle the life and death of the black crows. Follow me on Twitter at real Jeff Cesario, my album. What was I thinking? Streaming everywhere. The play with pain mugs available at Jeff I'm going to push these a little because, uh, I'm so close, Steve, to getting an actual check from Cafe Press. You have to clear a certain amount before you get the check. It's probably yeah. like 80 bucks. Haven't hit it yet. So I'm pushing the mugs. I want to see a check just to, just to prove to me that uh, Cafe Press is real. Uh, look for me on the road. I'm going to be doing some wonderful dates. Knock on wood soon myself. Chet, what do you got cooking? Oh, this weekend, guys, I'll be in unscented Utah calling the 17th annual non-sled sledding championships for ESPN. Last year's champ, Elton John legend, is back with his record-setting legless baby grand. Took that down the hill in 13 seconds. Who will it be? Let's strap in and see. Sponsored by Fluow, Hawaii's strongest cold medicine. And, of course, uh... Uh, uh, Let me see. I got another sponsor. Gascade. I knew I had it. I got to get that 15 bucks. Gascade. Let your wind out in gentle, hard to pinpoint waves with Gascade. This is Chet Waterhouse reminding you to play with pain.